Today, before we get into the sermon, I wanted to bring to your attention one more announcement I want to highlight in the bulletin, one of the first announcements, which is that today at 5.15, we're going to be gathering for a special dinner, and then at 6, we're going to be gathering for a special worship service as part of our mission month this month. You may not know this, but First Presbyterian Church is involved in four different church plants right now. Uh, that means that we are planting four churches. We are, we are raising up, part of raising up kingdom communities for this city in different parts of the city. And, and this is a really important work that the church is involved in. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to have our church planting partners come in and join us for a, a joint worship service this evening in Westminster Hall. So, so come at 515 if you'd like to eat, but definitely come at 6 o'clock for that worship service. It is going to be just an, an incredible event. Some of us have been over to, to uh, one, of our, uh, one of our church plants not too long ago for a worship service this summer. We've visited with and worshiped with others at different points, but this is the first time we'll be bringing all of these groups together to worship with us here at First Presbyterian. So that'll be in Westminster Hall this evening at 6. Dinner's at 5.15 if you can make it for that, for that fellowship time. We would love to have you for that as well. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our study of the Christian witness as it comes to us in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what is a witness? A witness is someone who is willing to bet his life and risk everything to share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. And since August, we've been talking about what it means to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to focus on a particular mission field, on a particular group with whom that, for whom that witness is particularly important. Because today, we're going to be asking, how do we become witnesses to our children? And in the passage that I'm about to read today, there is something here for us, but there's also a message here to us. And that's not just for the adults in the room, that's also for the children, for the kids, for the students in the room as well. There's something here for us, and there's something here written to us. And so our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 20, beginning in the seventh verse. This is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. So if you will, read along on the screens behind me or in your bulletin or in your pew Bible or in your own Bible if you brought it with you. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room which, where we gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story window and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God 
endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O Lord, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So there they were, one Sunday evening, and the Apostle Paul was preaching and teaching. He was about to leave town, and apparently he needed to make sure that he had covered everything that he needed to cover. And so he didn't just start teaching, he taught late into the night, so much so that Luke describes how many lamps there were lit that evening. He taught late into the night, all the way up until midnight. And there they were, meeting late into the night in this big, well-lit upper room. And Luke writes this, A young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell asleep, sound asleep, and toppled out of the third-story window. When they picked him up, he was dead. Now, Y'all, I have preached some long sermons, and I have preached boring sermons, but I've never killed anybody. I have had plenty of people fall asleep when I preach, and you're welcome, but I've never had anyone fall to their death while I was preaching. Where's Thomas? Where's uh, Millie? Where's, uh, where, where is Andrew? Uh, Andy, yeah. Have any of you guys ever fallen asleep in church? Any of y'all? How about your parents? <laughs> Just wondering. Because again, I want us to think about what has happened here. I mean, at first this is kind of funny. All the adults in the room were having a great time. And the meeting went long and started getting late. And kids started to fall asleep. Paul kept preaching and the church just kept on churching. But everybody forgot about this young man sitting in the windowsill in the back of the room, this third floor windowsill. And he fell asleep and he fell to his death. Now, nothing shakes the foundations of a church like the death of a young person. Whether that death comes as the result of some insidious cancer or medical condition or whether it's the result of a suicide or drunk driving accident after a Friday night football game, it's something that a church never forgets. But what makes this story stand out to me is that Eutychus didn't die in an intensive care unit or in a drunk driving accident. He died in the church he fell asleep and fell out of the back of the church. Why? Because no one was paying attention to him. Nobody woke him up. Nobody moved him from the edge of a sharp fall or caught him when he began to nod off. What happens if the preacher keeps on preaching and the church keeps on churching without actively engaging and teaching our children and our young people. I'll tell you what happens. If no one is paying attention to them, they will 
four. But the good news is that the story doesn't end there. Luke says, But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Here's the thing. It's not that we mean for young people to fall away, to fall to their deaths. But when it does happen, what do we see from the church? What happens when we know that or we see that people are falling away? Young people, old people, whatever. What do we do? Do we just lament that it happens? Or do we jump into action? I love this because the story tells us that, that Paul rushed to the body of the boy and stretched himself out on him and hugged him hard. In other words, he got down on the floor face to face, body to body, just as Elijah had done with a dead widow's son. He didn't just lament and say, woe is us for our youth have fallen away. He got down on his level and when he did, he said, there's life in him yet. I want you to think about that scene. The Bible says that he was dead. So what did Paul mean, that there was life in him yet? He meant that the God who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is able to bring that which is dead, even spiritually dead, even physically dead, back to life. It means that it isn't over until God says it's over. So the boy returned this boy not only to life, but to the church. And so if the first part of this, of this story is a useful metaphor for the situation of our youth, the second part is a lesson about the opportunity and the importance of ministry to ch children and our youth and our students, to our next generations. The reasons that we do next generation ministry is because we believe that Christ Jesus can give fallen people new life. Understand what I'm saying here. We are not always going to be able to stop people from falling. Matter of fact, many of us in this room who are adults now, leaders in the church, have fallen at one time or another. When did you fall? When did you fall out of the window? When did you fall down? When did you fall in sin? It's not just that we can keep people from falling from the window. No, it's that we remember that Christ Jesus gives new life to those who've died from a fall. But what are we going to do? You know, studies show that more and more young people are falling out of the church each year. According to demographer George Barna, only 34% of the newest generation, a generation called Generation Z, will be self-identified followers of Jesus Christ. What this statistic is telling us is that 66%, two out of three children of current elementary, high school, and college age, are falling or have already fallen out of the church 
or any kind of meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this. If you had three children, which two would you allow to fall out of, their wind, uh, out of a window to their deaths? Which two would you just willy, willingly giving, give up saying that, oh, it's okay, we've got one left? That would be intolerable. And yet, that many are falling to their spiritual death, eternal death. And we need to feel the weight of that. So what do we do? Now, I was a youth pastor 25 years ago you know what? A lot's changed since then. If we're going to reach this generation, we need to change. Not only our je- in next generation ministry, but in our thinking priorities, our attitudes, and our heart as a church. As Shakespeare said, the future is the undiscovered country. And the students of today have already been shaped in a world very different from the one in which most of us were raised. Most of this generation was not alive on 9-11. And it's the COVID pandemic that will become the defining event in their lives. Whereas previous generations saw the biggest threats on the horizon as communist expansion or nuclear war or terrorism, this generation sees the largest threats as environmental and ecological, not political. For the first time in human history, same-sex marriage is legal. Gender identification is not determined by biological sex. These are givens. These were givens when we were growing up. And because of a lot of different factors, science itself is no longer even trusted. Recreational marijuana is now legal in multiple states. Most people in Generation Z have watched more YouTube and online content then they have network TV. And it's true that while this generation is tech-savvy, they are also tech-dependent. Studies show that even though they are incredibly, incredibly well-connected, they're lonely. And when they have a big life question, they are more likely to Google an answer than to ask a parent, a friend, a teacher, someone else to pray about it. Now, their world is different. But here's what I want that generation to hear. That's not your fault. That's ours. It's not your fault that that happened. It's not of your doing. Because this isn't a world they created. After all, I don't know a single teenager who invented an iPhone. And unfortunately... We've done a better job of giving them new technology than we have of imparting wisdom. So we have to appreciate that the world is different. And we have to understand that, beloved, doing the same things that we've always done, going back to things that worked when we were kids, that's not going to work. To reach this generation... We're going to have to go into that scary, undiscovered country, trusting that God has given it to us. Remember what Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. 
as Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it, to reach the people we have never reached. We're going to have to do things that we have never done and go places that we've never been. And you know what? That means change. It means leaving the familiar to go into something new. We're going to actually have to get down on their level and listen for a heartbeat, just like Paul did. Sometimes next generation ministry is about leading the youth of the church, but sometimes it's about meeting them in the new land that God has promised. Now, I want you to think about this. What did Paul talk to those church leaders about after they came back upstairs? You think that he just stepped back into the pulpit and continued what he had been preaching before? I hope not. I hope not. Here's what I think happened. I think that when they got back upstairs, I think Paul sat down with those church leaders and said, you know what? We can't let this happen again. There's something wrong. We've got to do something different. Beloved, we need to consider how we need to reach this generation. You see, next generation ministry is not just pizza parties and all-night lock-ins at the church. That's what it looked like when I was a teenager. Next generation ministry to children and students has to prioritize discipleship development. That is, giving them the real meat of the faith so that they can distinguish it from the other stuff that's out there. We can't take their development for granted. We actually have to lead them in the spiritual habits and skills necessary to mature as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're actually going to have to take time to get down on their level to teach them how to study and how to serve and, and what generosity means and, and what fellowship looks like and what stewardship is like and what prayer and worship means. But we aren't going to be able to do it in the same ways that we've always done it. And here's my, con my concern, you know, last week, as I was watching the camera flyovers at the, U at the Texas OU game, it hit me that that stadium was filled not only with adults, but also with students of all ages, from elementary age to college. And they were dressed up, some even painted up, to cheer for their team. And those kids have all been thoroughly indoctrinated in either Longhorn or Sooner mania. But here's the thing. We're preparing them for Saturday. But are we preparing them for Sunday? And for Monday? And for Tuesday? If we're not preparing them and including them on Sunday, are we really preparing them for the rest of the week and the weeks and the months and the years to come? I mean, here's the thing. We make sure that they get to school. We make sure that they get to class. We make sure that they get to practice and rehearsal. We make sure that they get to college. But are we making sure that they get to church? And are we making sure that the church, that the faith, gets to them? 
and not just for services, but so that they will grow in wisdom and godliness. Are we teaching them to love Jesus Christ and his word of truth? Are we teaching them to love one another and his church? Are we preparing them to love their neighbors and to love this city? These are our children. And this is the mission field that God has trusted to us. And if we don't do it with our own children, who will? So what does it take to make next generation ministry happen? Well, in a word, it takes our investment. It means providing families, providing families, first off, with the resources they need to disciple one another and to train their children seven days a week. Beloved, we cannot count on it happening if it's only happening on Sunday. We need to equip families to disciple their kids, to disciple one another seven days a week. It means investing together as a church. Yes, to provide programs and facilities and resources to equip the next generation. And it means empowering our children's ministry committee, our youth ministry committee, our young adult communities, our, our university ministries. It means empowering people like Becky Pritchard and Carrie Napoli and Preston Miller and, and our committees and all of those folks. Did you all know that we have coming a brand new children's minister, a brand new children's director? Her name is Rebecca Sweet. It means empowering Rebecca for the work that she's going to be doing. It means giving our Sunday school teachers and volunteers and our student and youth advisors the space and the equipment and the training they need. And you know what? If you have never been to our student center or to the children's center on the first floor or visited our children's Sunday school classes, then you need to see the amazing work that God is doing. And next generation ministry is not just a program. It is most importantly a commitment to relationships. Getting involved in intergenerational relationships that are young, so that our young people won't fall. So that they don't have to walk alone. What does that mean? That means a personal investment of your time. Eutychus fell because no one was paying attention. What did Eutychus need? He needed a buddy. Not just a hired staff member, not just a Sunday school teacher. He needed friends, adults, older brothers and sisters in Christ to walk with him. Here's the thing. I'm a dad. I have a, a recent graduate from college and I have a freshman in college. I need you to befriend my kids. You know why? Because if you say it, they'll listen. If I say it, they don't. I need you. I need you. And they need you. My kids need to learn from you. It's a commitment that we make every time we baptize a child in this church. That we will be in relationship with them. So here's an interesting piece of trivia. Do you know that the name Eutychus actually means lucky? It means fortunate one. Now you may say, he didn't seem very lucky to me to have fallen out of that window. No, 
That was not lucky. It also seems unlucky that no one kept him from falling. But what was lucky, or I would say what was providential, was that God had surrounded him with people who jumped into action when he did fall. We can't always prevent the fall. We don't always prevent the fall. But what do we do when we understand and we know that people have fallen? I think our faithfulness will not be judged by how successful our kids are. Rather, we will be judged by how we love them when they fall. Will we be there for them? We believe that Jesus Christ can give fallen people new life. When Eutychus fell out of the window to his death, Paul did not organize a program to discuss the plight of Macedonian youth or come up with a new policy about keeping the windows closed or keeping the students only on the first floor of the building. He did not hire a youth pastor to babysit, and this, this babysit the students in the back of the room so the grown-ups could go on with the real business of the church. When Eutychus fell out the window, Paul rushed to him. He rushed to the body of the boy and stretched himself out on him and hugged him hard. He got down on the floor face to face. He got personally involved and through him, God performed a miracle. Why are people falling out of the church? What are we doing when they fall? And are you willing to make a personal investment in this generation. You pray with me? Lord, all of us have a fall story. A story of our own fall. And yet somebody came and picked us up. And Lord, we have all known people who appear to have fallen out, or fallen away with, or fallen from your truth and your light. So often, O oh Lord, our, our habit is to explain and lament and decry. But Lord, turn our hearts and our eyes to respond and to embrace rather than point. Lord, empower us so that we will not either allow this, this generation to fall away from your church or if they do and when they do, give us, Lord, hearts to go and be there to discover the life that is still burning in them. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.